Welcome everyone to the Row by Row Garden Show, the best dead gum gardening show on the radio and the internet as well. Glad y'all have y'all this evening. We've got a good show for you. We've got a special guest in the house, Mr. Logan McClain. Glad to have you, Logan. Good to be here. Good yeah. Be here. So Logan is, uh, we're going to talk about who Logan is for a little bit. That may take a while, okay? <laughs> but anyhow, Logan is a, uh, is a grower at a nursery and the owner of another nursery. He has been in the growing business for a long, long time. And Logan's on the show today because we're going to do a deep dive into pot mediums and pot and soils and seed start mixes. And I thought, man, Logan would be a great guest on here to talk about this because he has probably way more experience in it as I do. But uh, I figured out both of us together could bring you a good, maybe maybe a good understanding about pot mediums, about the, you know, why they are different, what is best, what is not best, what to look out for and all that. But first of all, let's talk about who Logan is. Okay. Who is Logan? Well, um, you're looking at him. My name is Logan McLean. I'm the production manager and sales manager at J&L Growers. And then we have Cool Springs Nursery, which is right down the road. Mm -hmm. Is it not? Yep, right down the road. And that's a propagation nursery. And uh, started at J&L in 99 and been working there. Which is an ornamental nursery. Y'all grow yeah, ornamental, plant, ornamental plants. Ornamental yeah. plants. Yeah. Everything from four inch perennials to right. three, four inch trees, right. large container trees. And uh, started there in 99, been there 22 years. Wow. Yep. We started uh, Cool Springs five you years ago. started now. when you was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. So anyway, been there 22 years um, as a production manager and now doing some sales and so forth. Um, let's see. I worked there in the summer, some in college. Kind of fell in love with Where'd it. Where'd you go to college at? Georgia Southern University. Georgia Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Had a little trouble towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. So Daddy thought I should come home and, yeah. and work at the nursery for yeah. a little while. Yeah. Get you I, get you focused. Back pull, a, to get, pull a few weeds. Yeah. Pull a few weeds and get my get my yeah. mind together. Yeah. So I went back and finished and I uh, got a business degree. And then the gentleman that owned the nursery, um, Jim Peterson. Jim, Jim Peterson. Jim, Peters, yep, Jim yeah. Peters. He decided to hire me as a production manager. So I've been doing that for 22 years now. Yeah. Five years ago, we stopped propagating there and started buying our liners in, which is the starter plugs. And I got with some friends that had some land and started Cool Springs Nursery. And it's a propagation nursery with greenhouses, and we propagate for cuttings there. Yeah. And then we sell them to the wholesale farms. And you've also done, you, you kind of dipped your feet in maybe some citrus trees and some we, some different stuff, maybe yeah. besides the ornamentals. Yeah, we got at the citrus business for a while. Um, that was kind of a hot thing there for a little while, a little fad. <laughs> and I guess yeah. it probably still is. It if, still is, yeah. If people don't know this or not, but South Georgia has become a huge citrus growing area. Yep. So, yep. And, and I guess Southern Alabama as well, Mississippi. Right, yeah. yeah. The, there's a window between Central Georgia and Madison, Florida, right. where the trees can live, um, but the psyllid that uh, inoculates the tree can't had a little so. problem with a little issue called greening, greening in south florida yeah. that was yeah. transmitted transmitted by a uh, an insect so yeah. we moved up and and i guess the thought process is that that insect won't won't live this far up is that that's right point? okay yeah, yeah correct right. and, and uh we haven't had very many cold winters in the last five years, no, but supposedly it kills them. Yep. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. Yep. Anyway, we, we tried that. I got in, tried my hand at grafting. About the time I got pretty good at it, we decided to stop. So um, not doing that anymore. Just focusing on the nursery stuff or the ornamental stuff. Um, but yeah, used a lot of a lot of pot and soil yeah. over the years. Yeah. And uh, we've got it dialed in the way we want it, we think now. So, right. yep. 
All right, so let's talk a little, little garden update, what's going on. Now, we have been inundated out here in South Georgia with some massive heat and wet weather as of lately. And you know what? August, to me, is probably my least favorite month out of the year to garden. It's hot. We have the dog days. It's just the sun comfortable out there. So I probably don't get as much done. I've done pretty good the last few days getting things prepared and, uh, and getting back on schedule a little bit. But I... I I kind of find myself dragging a little bit in August. I guess you do too. Everybody does that. Getting back to school and all that. So we're in the kind of that low period right now. Now I did have uh, a few days where I could get in there. The, the wet weather, you know, ceased for a few days and I could get in there and prepare a few plots. Let's see what I got. I got my corn plot ready, got it tarped. So when I get ready to go in there, hopefully in a few days, peel it back, I can plant my corn because it's about that time. Um, I got my first crop of cabbage in the greenhouse there. Cabbage and broccoli, you know, started in the greenhouse. Now, one thing I will touch on this, I've had a couple customers in the last few days talk about this right here. All your brassicas, whether it be cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, any of those, they like a 75 degree germination temperature to germinate. So if you're putting them out there in your greenhouse and you have those, one of those heat waves come there 100 degree days, you could have some problems. What I really recommend is maybe germinating them inside and that, you know, most of us keep our house around 75, 78 degrees. Let those pop right through the soil and as soon as they pop out, then move them outside where they can get some sunlight or underneath a grow light and you'll be successful. We've had a few people that has tried to do it outside in the heat and they've not been real successful. Uh, 40 or 50% germination rate and I always tell them, I said, back up. And, and go at it a little different and try to germinate these brassicas in a cooler temperature and I think you'll be way more successful. We got flowers growing, we got a lot of things going. We're getting geared up for the first of uh, September because that way we'll get back in the swing of things. We'll start thinking about getting those fall plants in the soil and getting back to normal with our garden and have all these wonderful crops growing off in the fall of the year because the fall is absolutely a wonderful time to be gardening. So there we have that. Still got time, still got time for sunflowers and flowers. I think you can do that all the way, at least through, heck, at least through the middle of September to plant those. I got some, I got two different crops of sunflowers growing. I'll probably plant one more to, uh, to keep me going in there. So there we have it with that. We got all that rocking and rolling. Now it's time for the corny joke of the week. Are you ready? I guess. All right, why didn't the corn graduate school? Beats me. He couldn't flip his tassel. <laughs> it's a good one, ain't it? Yeah. You're more welcome to use our corny jokes at church or your local uh, civic events. Anywhere you go, more than welcome to use them. We won't hold you accountable for them. I actually heard that one on TikTok. Did you? Yeah, I stole that from TikTok. So let's get into let's get into let's talk about our new products. How about that? So we got two new products here that I want to show y'all. This first one here is a California giant zinnia. We've had a little trouble getting some mixed zinnias in this year. They've been out of stock, but we got we just added this one, heck, a couple weeks ago, and they've been flying off the shelves. Now, this particular one, we're not going to offer it in the seed packs. We're only offering this in quarter pounds and pounds, and it is a good mixed zinnia, and it, what's so great about it is economical or cost cost-effective, I guess. How about that? You like that? Yeah, sounds good to me. Economical. Yeah. So that's a quarter of a pound right there. That's a good bit of seeds for like, I think it's like $12.99. So we're 
So these are, are affordable. You can grow these. If you got a big area that you're trying, trying to grow, this is a good one here if you want to go out there. Now, I wouldn't put this in the class with Benaria Giant. Benaria Giant is going to be a good bit more expensive for this. And if you are a flower farmer, a cut flower farmer, you probably want to stick to that Benaria Giant. But if you're just a homeowner and we'll and pick these flowers every now and then, this is a great choice right here. It's a good for cut flower, but it is just a good all-around zinnia mix. Do you grow zinnias? I don't. Maybe you should. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. What if, just take this situation, what if you had a, a patch of zinnias at your house? Mm -hmm. And maybe you got in a little bit of trouble with a wife. Yeah. Maybe you stayed out a little too late. I think I see where you're going. Or maybe something happened here. You yeah. know, you could always go back there if you got in tight and cut a little small bouquet of flowers and make everything right. Everything will be just right. Yep. Yeah, everybody needs that. You, know, you need it handy. You need it close by <laughs> so that you can get it, because you never know when you're going to get in a tie. That's true. Because us men, we can mess up. Been there, done that. We yep. can mess up pretty quick. Yep. Don't you think? Yes, sir. I, I do. So there's that one. There's so these aren't a cover crop. This is just for... These are flowers. Just for flowers. Man, these okay. are flowers here to make it forgive you just about okay. anything. Mm -hmm. But now your timing's got to be right. <laughs> You got to get your time right. You got to hold them just right. And you got to have the right persona when you're going. You, right. got, to, you got to have a humbled heart, Logan. Gotcha. You understand this? I got you. Okay. I got you. Keep that in mind. You make and use that. Yes, sir. Another one is Chef's Choice Black Tomato. Now, this is, we carry several of the Chef's, Chef's Choice. That's a tongue twister there. Mm -hmm. But this black one we just added. And as all y'all well know, any of these dark colored fruits and tomatoes are really beneficial because they have all these antioxidants in them. So, let's look at that one. It's a pretty tomato. Yeah, it's a pretty tomato. Now, this is an indeterminate right here. So, this may be one you want to put on your list for next year. Chef's Choice Black Tomato. I think it's going to be a great one. I did not grow any of the Chef's Choice this year, but I very well next year. So, there you have it. All right. So, let's talk about our main segment here. Let's talk about potting soils. And we're going to go through. we got all kind of props here to go through. Samples to show everybody what we're talking about and let's talk about we're going to talk about seed start and we're going to talk about container mixes we're going to talk about commercial mixes and we're going to talk about commercial propagating mixes and we're going to talk about just about all the components that make up these potting mixes so if you'll hand me the one down on the end the first one we're going to talk about is mostly in most of the commercial not commercial most of the consumer mixes that you buy at the big box store this is going to be what primarily makes up the bulk of that product now this is what we call peat and did you know most of the peat comes out of canada i didn't know that however they are doing a little bit down in florida but it doesn't have the same grade or it's not as good a peat canadian peat is the is the one you want to go with that is one has the uh the superior product and that's where I'd say what ninety-five percent of all the peat comes from. Yeah, yep. And this is—is is, this is what makes up most of the uh, the majority of the mixes. Now they are different grades of this, and we want to be talking about different grades as we go through all these products, because a lot of these things will be screened differently, and you will be getting different grades of these in different mixes. Now this is what I call a standard mix. You see, it's pretty good size there. Mm -hmm. sticks got some sticks in it that's okay but that is your standard mix of peat now peat has uh, all the components that we're going to talk about today peat has the highest cation exchange value Ooh. That's a good one. What's cation that? exchange value 
that is a that's that is a word or a source or a way or a scale. I guess is is you measure how well the nutrient holding capacity of the product is. You learning something today? I think You're I got it. it. Yeah, cation exchange value. Yeah. So this one here, it holds moisture well. It holds nutrients well. It doesn't drain the best in the world. It's going to hold. It's going to hold moisture really good. So to have a really good mix, you've got to add different things to this to get the consistency different. Now, do y'all use straight peat for anything? Uh, no, not just straight peat. Okay. Do you use a peat mix? We yes, we use some peat mix on propagation. In propagation. Yeah, with some product called perlite. Perlite. Okay. So there we got great peat and it's kind of heavy. It's nice and greedy and dirty. All right, let's talk about that one you talked about next, perlite. Okay. This is perlite. You want to tell us what perlite is? Um, perlite, I believe, you, you probably know more than I do, but it's the... Um, so we got, some, we got some words wrote down right there yeah. I was going to let you talk about. <laughs> Actually, it's the, I think it's the, it's not the mineral and that's the other one. It's no, the it's volcanic the, glass. It's the volcanic yeah, glass. it's heated up to like 2,000 degrees yeah. or something like and that. And it pops. And it like pops, yeah. Popcorn. Yeah. And it's a good filler. We use it as a filler. Um, it's a little bit hydrophobic, which means it doesn't soak up a lot of water, so it'll, it'll make some space in there for you and um, kind of knocks the peat back a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Primarily, it's used for aeration to help things drain. Now, they are different grades as it as well. Now, you see that big one right there? That's probably the one, everybody can see, that's probably the one you're used to dealing with, more mm -hmm. of a big size. Mm -hmm. But they also make a grade that's real fine. And we got one in there we'll show you a little bit later. So these different grades of it as far as size, I personally, in a container mix or a growing mix, I like the bigger size. Me too. Now, if I'm going to do a seed starting mix, we'll talk about that a little bit on a little bit smaller size. But when you buy a, uh, most time when you buy a consumer bag of perlite, you're going to be getting a smaller one. And when you buy a grower or a professional line, you're going to be getting the bigger perlite. Now, one thing about perlite is it, if you just look underneath a microscope, it's got these little canals all the way through and it's very porous material. But it does have a cavity inside that will actually draw up and hold a little bit of moisture inside of the perlite. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the way they, they grow out seeds like in a commercial greenhouse, like the tomatoes and things like mm -hmm. that. Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed it, yeah. What do they put on top? They put perlite, perlite on top. Yeah. And I've always struggled with why. And I've asked several people why, and I believe I've solved it okay. on my own. How about that? <laughs> So inside of this perlite, it's able to, to take in and retain moisture. But when they put it on top of them seeds, it, it also has the ability to exchange gases very well and to release that moisture and to raise the humidity in a very localized area. In the root zone. Well, it, where the seeds germinate yeah. now. Oh. So I think that's the main reason they use it. Also, it's easy for that, you know, for that plant to pop through that because that's real loose here. But the ability to be able to put water on this and it to retain it for a few hours and then release it back into atmosphere for the humidity, I think is the main benefit from that from seeds. Now, one thing that the commercial growers do is they put perlite on the small seeds, but I have just recently learned that's not all they use. We have struggled with, uh, with some watermelon seeds this year on germinating and I have finally found out 
how they do it, these little tricks there. I talked to a guy that works at one of the larger greenhouse operations that we're not going to mention. No, and, he, and he gave me some information. About Noah's name? Yeah, probably do. <laughs> so there we have perlite. So let's move on. Let's move to vermiculite next. How about that? Now vermiculite, you want to tell them what vermiculite is? Uh, I think it's a mineral. It is a mineral. Mind, yeah. And I got it wrote down here. So this is a good one right here. Y'all going, going to appreciate this. These big words I'm fixing to throw at you. It is a hydrated magnesium aluminum silicate. That's big, ain't it? That's big time there. Big one. Yeah. Did y'all learn that, Georgia Southern? <laughs> and not, they, not in the business school. Not in the business school. <laughs> and they heated this up just like they do perlite, and what happens? Poof. Boom, yep. Now, this one right here, that didn't look like the one you're used to using, is it? Nope. That's a small one. So I bought this one uh, off Amazon. This is a consumer line, and this again, this is what you're going to get when you buy a consumer line. You're going to get the, the lower grade, and the finer it is, is the more it's considered a lower grade. The commercial or grower line that you would buy would be a good bit bigger than this, and that's actually the one I prefer. So this one has huge amount of nutrient, excuse me, uh, water holding capacity. Okay. These things are just soak up water. Mm -hmm. water. And it does okay with cation exchange value. It'll hold just a little bit of nutrients. It's not near as good as peat. Uh, and by the way, perlite has no cation exchange value. It won't hold nutrients at all. This one will hold a little bit, but this is not its forte. The, what you want to use this for is for is for aeration as well, but it changes the consistency of the pot and soil with the peat and everything. It kind of gives it a little more drainage, a little more holding capacity, but it just changes the texture. Mm -hmm. And both of these are inert, right? Yes. Now, the, both of them, uh, I, let me put it this way, perlite is considered a non-organic. I don't know why, because it's, it's yeah. a natural product, it's just heated, but it's considered a non-organic. This one right here is what they use on those seeds. So a watermelon seed or pumpkin seed, anything that's a big seed, when they're putting it in the pot for germination, this is the little secret that I have just learned. They put a thin layer of this on there before they put the perlite on there. And the reason behind that, he told me, was is when you wet this, it conforms and holds moisture around that seed a little bit better than perlite does. And these bigger seeds need that for the germination. So we all know that seedless watermelons are notorious for hard to germinate. And this is the trick he told me that they used and they grew a bunch of them. This is the trick he said they used to get those seedless watermelons to germinate. They also use it on squash seed, any big seed, a thin layer of this, and they wet that of course, and it pulls that moisture and it will conform on top of that seed then they put the perlite on top of that. And he said that was the ticket. That's the trick. For, yeah, for germinating. So we got perlite there. I mean, excuse me, vermiculite there. Yep. And it also, it's, it's pretty good. I don't know that you'd want to use it in your garden, but if you did, it does aerate your soil a little bit. It has some of the same characteristics as perlite, but it is different. Now, most of your potting mixes that you buy is going to have those three, three ingredients in them. If you're wanting to do your own homemade mix, you would do something like two-fourths peat, a fourth perlite, and a fourth vermiculite, and that would give you a, a decent mix. Now, I can remember back in the day, this might have been a little bit before your time, 
I was in high school and Dr. Griner was our, um, remember Dr. Griner? Oh, I too, yeah. 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 Good guy. He was sharp. And so he, uh, he was <laughs> just kidding, Doc. <laughs> he, uh, he had his doctor in the horticulture and he started probably, he had a greenhouse program there at the high school, which I think was probably the best one that's been. When he, when he started, he really made a difference in that program. But he would make us make our own potting mix to use in the school greenhouse there. At the time, I didn't really understand why, but the reason he did that was to educate us what all went in there. Now, we used, if my memory serves me correct, this has been a couple months ago, yeah. vermiculite, perlite, peat, and lime and the lime was to move that pH up because peat has a very low pH. Now perlite and vermiculite are pretty much neutral but there's not enough of it there to make a difference. So what you're really trying to do is moving that peat pH up to around six to get it where in a good growing condition there. And we added limestone, those two things and we made we mixed it all up and made our own mix. Looking back now I understand what he was doing. Did you help him a lot? I did, yeah. I took took plants one one semester. One semester. You hit on something with the lime. We use uh, dolomitic lime in our commercial mix. Too, yeah. So I don't know if you can get to that later or not. Yeah, but you should pretty much always if you're. And this is where I think some of the the cheaper consumer lines that you buy at some of the big box stores, they may be missing that ingredient there, and that is an important ingredient. Provides calcium and magnesium, and, and it it moves the pH, so that you have that exchange better of your nutrients. So it's important that that there's now, as far as I'm aware, all the premium mixes have that added already to it. I know the ones that we have dealt with already have that lime adjusted, and some of them also have a wetting agent there too. Hmm. So so by and large, what you find. When you go to the big box stores, mm -hmm. is that uh, you're going to be buying a, a pretty much inferior product than what you would be at your local garden center or a mom and pop or somewhere like that. You normally get a little bit better premium product than you do at the big box stores because they're concentrated on price. That's my opinion. Yeah. Speaking of Dr. Griner, uh, he was a little bitty fella. Uh, he's still alive, but he's a little bitty fella. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. One day uh, I was- He still comes to the nursery, by the way. Oh, does he? Yep. I was in the, uh, I seen him at the SNA a few years ago and I told him what an impact he made on my life. I yeah. really did. I, he, he inspired me in a lot of ways. Yep. And I, I took that opportunity. If you don't know what the SNA was, it's a big horticulture show you used to go in Atlanta. I seen him and his wife and I, I took the opportunity to just tell him what an impact he made on, on my decisions later on. But anyway, I was in his class one day and. He had stepped out, and uh, as boys was doing, we was telling jokes and stuff and whatnot, and he stepped back in about the time that I hit the punchline on one of my <laughs> jokes, and I had what said an ugly word. Oh, Lord. And uh, he called me up there, just like right here, and he was a little bitty fella, and I was a pretty good-sized boy, you know. And he says, uh, you uh, Still you, are. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And he says, uh, he said, you, uh, you said ugly word, did you? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, well, uh, I'm going to have to whip you. Back then, they could whip you. I said, that's all right. I said, how much you plan on whipping me? He said, one word, one lick. I said, ain't no problem. I can handle that. So he carried me outside. He went and had to go get the teacher next door because back then, it was at the beginning when you had to have a witness. Way back before that, when I was a little bitty fellow, they didn't have to have no witnesses. But at this point, some things had started changing. You had to have witnesses. So he got me out there, and, and I won't ever forget that. He got me on the wall. He said, put your hands up, brother, and I did. 
And he reared back with that wooden paddle, and son, he brought my feet off the floor. <laughs> and I didn't know a little fella could slap a paddle like he did, but now he burnt me up. He caught me off guard, because I thought I was a big old boy that's going to be able to take it, but I'm, he did not have to worry about me. He meant business, huh? He didn't have to worry yeah. about me seeing the more right. ugly words. <laughs> so uh, that was my uh, that was the last time they hit on me at school. After that, I, I figured it was enough. Baby self. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the, let's go to the SunGrow Seed Starting Mix. This okay. is the brand that we're selling right now. I like the looks of that. Now. Yeah, now this is a fine mix. This is a seed starting mix. Now we talked about perlite a while ago. You see the small perlite there? The small perlite works really good in a seed starting mix, but only in a seed starting mix to me because it, you need more of a compact, fine mixer and you see how that peat is really fine it has been screened and i don't see any vermiculite in there i think this is mainly a perlite and a peat mix but this is a really good mix i've tested a lot of and i like this one a lot now if you are uh seeding in the winter time with the seed starting mix you could probably get by with a little coarser mix than well yeah, you could probably get by with a little coarser mix than this because you don't want your water to be sitting there when it's in cool weather. But in, in hot weather, where it dries out quick, this real fine mix works good. It works good in the wintertime as well. You just make sure you got plenty of drainage because it will hold a good bit of moisture there. But that is a really good consistent mix right here. And that is the sun group. All right, let's look at the container mix. Now we're stepping it up a little bit mm -hmm. that way. What's the difference in those two? Well, it's uh, screened out the bigger pieces there. Mm -hmm. It's like me. Yep. That's the perlite you're probably perlite. used to right yeah. there. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You have some bark in there. Mm -hmm. It has peat. Now, the sea start mix didn't have any bark. Nope. Let's talk about bark, man. Why do they use bark? It's plentiful. Plentiful. It's economical. Economical. It's affordable. We are in pine tree country. Yep. yep. So, and it's, it's okay. It's a decent mix yep. when it's used correctly. Now this one right here is what they call a container mix. This is one you would use for your tomatoes or things like that that you're going to grow in a container. Now we get ornamentals in a minute. It's a little different story. But this is a good mix right here. So a little bit on the heavy side. It's going to drain, but yeah, it's got a pretty good bit of water capacity holding there. All right. Well, yeah, let's look at core just a minute. Now this is a core this is a product that is mined. No, it's not mined. <laughs> it's, it's gotten, it's taken from the coconut husk. We're not in coconut country. We're not in coconut no. country. This stuff here has come from overseas. And you can tell it's got these little strings in there. It's actually a pretty good product. Now, it you holds a lot of water, I guess. It I've does. never used it. You've never used it? You know the reason you don't use it? <laughs> I think it's a little more expensive than, than what you would use. Now, where this is mainly used at is in the e-commerce space. And the reason why is they can compact this stuff in these bricks and get it really compacted and it's easy to ship. And when you get it, you can hit it with a little water and it just expands. So it is very economical to ship. And that's the reason a lot of people use it. I think probably as a fixed resource, I think it's probably a good bit more expensive than the, uh, I'm talking peat. about volume-wise, to the peat. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest with you, it's a good product there. Um, I think it probably has real similar water holding capacity as the peat. Um, probably the cation exchange value is probably real similar. It's a good product. It's just not very 
economical use, you'll find sometimes that they'll have small amounts of this in particular mixes. All right, now this, we're not gonna call any names, Logan, okay? Okay. This is one that I picked up from the big box store. This is a seed starting mix. Now this particular mix come from a big box store. So we figure as well as I look at it, this is not, this is a little bit of an inferior product, not real inferior, but you can tell they kind of cut on the pearl a little bit. It's mainly peat. That's about all I see in there. It's a little bit of small pearl and peat. Now, this is one of your premium brands that you would buy at the big box store. It's got really good packaging, looks really good, but the inside you see there is not necessarily the premium product that you may think you're getting. And that's what happens a lot of times. These manufacturers will give you an inferior product in a premium packaging, and it looks really good, but you're not getting the best product. All right. So this one is another one that comes from a big box store, and this is a container mix. This is when you'd plant your hibiscus in or something like that, I yeah. guess. Same thing, a lot of peat, because peat's probably the cheapest ingredient in there. Some perlite, I think that's pretty much it. Now you got a different grade of peat there. You got a bigger clumps in there, and you've got some pretty small perlite in there. Maybe a little pine bark in there. Yeah, there's some pine bark in there, a little pine bark. Yep. Not a horrible mix. No, in containers, when I do them at the house, I like to mix a little bit of that with our commercial stuff. Right. Yep. And the reason is? Holds water a little better. Holds water. Wife's not the best about watering the Or if you're gone for a couple of days, yeah. Or if you're gone for a couple of days. Yeah. Could have just said that. So yeah, instead of the wife thing. Man, that was, you're going to need some zines <laughs> before you leave here, ain't you? All right. And then let's talk about your mixes. Okay. This is your propagation mix, right? This is our, uh, yeah, propagation mix. Yeah, that's yeah. the container mix over there. And what's the ingredients in it? Well, it's got pine bark and it's got sand in it. That's it. Um, on some of the things we propagate, we will add perlite to it. Um, but the vast majority of it, we use pine bark and sand. And it's, it's finely screened um, and it holds together well, holds a lot of water. We try not to keep things in the mist house longer than we have to. Um, but in high heat, Keep it good and wet. Uh, it'll help put a callus on it in a hurry, and then we can get it out into some cooler weather and get the, to get the root started. So I did a little experiment last year on some feed cuttings. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that I did notice is you did not want them fine mixes like we use our seed starting mix. I tried some to start with in there, and I had some major problems. They rotted off. Disease, yeah. Disease, pythium, which which is a big issue with this right here. So you actually want water to run through this. You want this to drain because you don't want those water spores such as pythium to have. You don't want any dampening off. You don't want any rot and things like that. Right. So I had to end up going to you and borrowing some of your mix. Then I had decent results here. Yeah, it drains. The sand helps with the draining. Yeah. It's very economical, and we spray a lot of fungicide and right. a lot of drenching as well. Right. But it doesn't hold water very well. Not not a lot. Not yeah. A lot, yeah. And the sand in there, I'm amazed how well the sand actually is distributed through there. You would think the sand was kind of settled out on bottom, mm -hmm. but it really doesn't. Does nope. it? it sticks to the pine bark. Yep. Yep. This is the commercial propagation mix that what would you say ninety percent of people use, especially here in the south. Um, I don't know that I would agree with that, but a lot of us do. But some of the the higher higher been around longer companies. Higher, higher ups. Higher ups. Higher ups. Yeah. They, they can afford to use the peak perlite and go that route. Um, a lot of them buy 
pre-made um, pellets. Yeah, yeah, pellets to go in. Yeah. But um, a lot of your nurseries, your wholesale farms do their own propagation. This is the, the route that they go. Now, have you ever used just straight perlite? Nope. You ever seen anybody do that? Or vermiculite, either one? I, it seems like I remember back in the day they rooted in vermiculite. Maybe, yeah. Way back in the day. Way back in yeah, the day. We're talking back about back. Yeah. 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 But um, that doesn't have any added. Now, is this lime added? Is the pH nope. adjust? Nope. Pine bark sand. Pine bark sand. No adjustment whatsoever. Once I get them out and get them rooted, I'll, yep. I'll run the meter under them and see where they are. And if I need to amend them a little bit at that point, raise the pH or lower the pH, then I'll do that. You know, they're not. How, how long do they stay in there? What's the average time that it takes for you to, to root a plant? Average. Well, it and I know, I know it's different. Varieties. Yeah, lantana root in two weeks, but right. then you got uh, like a cedar or eastern red cedar, something like that, it could take nine months to a year. So, I guess the average time will be about seven, eight months, yeah. and then it's out the door, hopefully, and in a in a nursery container, growing out in a one gallon. What's three. amazing to me is you don't want. I, I would have thought you'd want to adjust that pH for that long of time, just off the top of my head. Well, if it's in, basically all that is, if it, when it's in the mist house for me. It's just a substrate. It's just holding the plant upright um, and keeping compressed around the root. And like I said, we do drench a lot with fungicide. That helps a lot. Um, but yeah, when it comes out, we certainly have. We use acidic fertilizers and we drench with some stuff to lower and raise the pH. Now here's the goal right here. Although it may not look like much. <laughs> this is your pot mix, right? That's the pot mix, yeah. Um, you got 80% pine bark, 10% uh, sand, and 10% peat. Um, we've also got just a small amount, I think about eight pounds per yard of a three to four month fertilizer, which kind of gives it a kickstart right off the bat. And then we've also got split pea sulfur, which helps keep the pH a little lower. Um, Where do you want your pH on this pot mix? We, we like to keep it around five and a half to six. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because the water uh, can vary between 6.8 and 7.2 over the nursery so you start getting a creep pretty quick now this summer we didn't do a lot of irrigating but when you're watering them twice a day with 7.2 water it doesn't take long for that ph to creep up around yeah. six and a half so yeah, yeah. we've got the split pea sulfur in there we've got the little minute okay talk to me about split pea sulfur a little okay. bit is that a soluble product that you, that you put in your pot and soil here or is it like a powder it's a it looks like a little pea that's split there's probably one in there um and I think it's about... It's an elemental sulfur. Yeah, when it hits water, you, you um, when, the, when little pieces break off, you wind up getting um, sulfuric acid. Yeah, which lowers your pH. Which lowers your pH, yeah. Yep. yep. And um, that does it fairly quickly. We've got another product in there called Keyserite, which is a mineral mined like vermiculite, and um, it lowers the pH over time. It kind of makes a little better curve. Um, so we get a little bit out of that over time to help keep the pH around 5.76, something like that. Mm. So I also read in a, in a peat mix, the ideal pH in there is also around 5.8 to 6.0, which I would have thought would have been a little higher than that, but that's yeah. pretty much what you're shooting for there too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a growing situation with vegetables, most of the time you want a 6.5. But I guess starting them off, you want a little bit lower pH there is accept, acceptable, and then you get them at that stage, you can ease them on into a... Right, well, over the past 20 years, um, it's a function of how much we irrigate, what we're growing. This is, this particular um, mix right here has worked best for me. Yeah, 
just a little side note here you know if you've got an irrigation system in your lawn and it's a dry year and you've had to irrigate a lot and you've got a very high ph water a lot of calcium content there you can do the same thing to your lawn you can lower that ph in that top layer and cause yourself a lot of problems if you've ever seen an irrigation i'm going back to my old days now you know? <laughs> if you've ever seen an irrigation system that's over in the corner where it gets the majority of the water because no irrigation system is perfect in those corners where it gets the most irrigation they'll start yelling up there first because that's where he's raised the ph now trying to explain that to a customer is a different i bet a yeah. different animal because yeah. they think you did everything but i have seen that several times in a dry year and then around here you said your phs are somewhere around 7.2 the water yeah, ours last time I tested, it was closer to eight. Really? Yeah. That well, I hadn't, I hadn't tested it in a year and a half. So. Yeah, so it can it can vary somewhat. Sure. Yeah. But a lot of these pH in these waters do have an effect on your growing conditions here. Yeah. And if you got a high pH as we do, you always got to be concerned about it shooting way up. Because what happens when you get that high pH? Everything starts getting bound up. You right. start getting those iron deficiencies, yep. magnesium deficiencies, and all that. Yep. The uh, The... Minor elements get bound up. Um, a good example would be like on a hydrangea. Mm -hmm. You know, when you some, sometimes see pink hydrangeas, sometimes you see blue ones. Mm -hmm. If you got a lower pH of the soil, the aluminum is more available to the hydrangea and it makes the bloom blue. Right. And if it's higher, then it's pink. You, I don't know if you've talked to them about that before, but. Yep. And then we grow lots of azaleas, gardenias. Um, Things that prefer that lower camellias, pH. Camellias, yep, yeah, that prefer it. And for some reason, it's, it's hard to get it down yeah once it comes back up you know i always tell people it's a lot easier to raise the ph than it is to bring it down yep. there's only one way i know to bring down ph and that's elemental sulfur yeah that's the only way and so you got to be careful you got to be careful with that because you can overdo it but yep. sulfur is also a soluble element so it will leach through something you have to reapply over a period of time so you know i preach this over and over again always do a a soil sample before you do anything to your pH to know exactly what you're trying to do because you can do some damage there that is hard to reverse. Yeah. But these potting soils here do have, I mean, isn't pH is important to them. And one of the things that I have noticed, like we talked about earlier, is these good premium mixes have that already adjusted for the consumer. So that's one thing to keep in mind. If you are mixing your own mix, that you really need to adjust that pH or if you're buying a product, make sure you buy a premium product that may have already been adjusted. Now these cheaper brands here that we bought from the big box store, I didn't see anything on the bag where these had been adjusted. So I don't know, they could have, could not, I don't know. Now the two brands that I will tell you that I recommend I've used a lot is the SunGrow. We sell the SunGrow, but I'll tell you another one that we've sold in the past we currently do not sell that I think a lot of them. that's ProMix. Yeah. Have you used ProMix? I have. Yep. yep. ProMix is a great line. It's a great product line. You're not going to find them pretty much at the at the big boxes. You're going to have to go to your uh, your garden center places like that. They seem to carry more of those premium mixes. So the Sun Grow or the ProMix, those two there, I would highly recommend. Now I'm going to tell you a quick little story about a situation I'm in right now. So I'm developing, I'm trying to develop a product line of fertilizers for the consumer. I was on the phone just a couple of days ago with a guy that's the vice president of a big fertilizer company, and I'm just gonna say down in Florida. And um, 
me and him was talking and he, he told me, he said, Greg, I used to work for a huge, and he named the name, but it was Consumer Fertilizer Brand, probably the biggest one. So if you go, if you go to one of the big stores and you see fertilizer, that, say was, that, name. that was probably their brand. Yeah. So and he said, I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to have a really good packaging and you got to put really sorry or cheap product in really good packaging. I said, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put really good product in really good packaging because we're not selling to the consumer that is worried so much about price. We want to sell a premium product in a premium package. And it really caught me then. Now, this guy was a veteran in the industry. But it really dawned on me then, you know, that he what he said was most consumers don't know the difference in a premium product and a cheaper product. I mean, you and I can look at this and tell. Yeah. You know, we can tell there's not near as much in that as they are, you know, the the SunGrow or the ProMix. It's not enough. It's not the premium grade products are not there. The consistency is not there. You can tell it's just not the quite the product that we would be expecting. But the average consumer may not know that. So. Yeah. Well, we hope we have maybe brought a little education today. How about that? Perhaps. Perhaps we have inspired somebody <laughs> to buy a better uh, growing mix. And maybe give you an idea of, of what you're doing when you buy it and, and maybe educate you a little bit. And, and if I can only say one thing, just be informed of what you're buying. And most time, you get what you pay for. That's pretty much true in life, isn't it? Indeed. Yes, sir. That's a good one. All right, folks. Well, thank you, Lou. You're certainly welcome. Yep. All right. Folks, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Now it's time to get out there and get dirty.